Welcome to Tales from the Rabbit Hole. I'm your host, Mick West. My guest today, all the way from Sweden, is Rory. Rory is a debunker of the flat earth. He's also someone who has been on a very interesting journey through his life, both physically and spiritually. And uh, he's a person who also believes in less things than he used to. All this will be explained when we talk to Rory. So, uh, Rory, welcome to Tales from the Rabbit Hole. Thank you very much for being here. Yeah, uh, thanks, man. So, I've, I've known you on Metabunk for a while, a few years, and yeah. I think you kind of originally came in as a flat earth debunker, is that right? I was a fledgling flat earth debunker, but also kind of <laughs> learning about the debunks, yeah. You, you've, you've done a lot of flat earth debunking, I must say. I was looking at your YouTube channel. And mm. you had like, uh, you know, kind of a big flurry of flat earth debunking videos, like over about the last year and kind of ending around about, around three months ago. Yeah. What kind of led up to your, your interest in, in flat earth? Flat earth. Well, okay. So the, the videos were really just, I started on the day after Christmas yeah. last year. And then I think I stopped, it must have been around the end of April. So it was about a, no, 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 right at the end of March, actually. So it was about three months, kind of intensely. Yeah, how did I get into Flat Earth? That's, uh... <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, Just one, one drunken night on after Met- Christmas. Yeah, I've <laughs> lived to regret it ever since. But um, there's conversations on Metabunk at the minute about how YouTube promotes videos. And if you, if you start with a mild conspiracy theory video, it will kind of promote more extreme versions. And I think that's how it started for me. I wasn't particularly interested in conspiracy theories. But um, I was, I'd read a John Ronson book where he mentions David Icke. And I wanted mm-hmm. to see the original David Icke video. And suddenly this flat earth video pops up on the side, uh, Eric DeBay's 200 Proofs. So I think, wow, okay, that's weird. I'll click on that. And that's where it started, really. That was the beginning. Yeah, Eric DeBay, uh, his 200 yeah. Proofs are... Uh... Uh, <laughs> it's an interesting strategy, I think, that flat earthers have is giving you 200 proofs that the earth mm. is flat. When really you don't you should need one, really, if there's one proof yeah. that the earth is flat. No, no. It was, I mean, I guess in comparison to yourself, I guess the first time you saw flat earth, you thought, what the hell is this? Like, this is obviously wrong. And I think there was something about, it was interesting because I, I have that, uh, some sort of ability to maybe sympathize with where they're coming from. Because I remember watching that first Eric DeBay video, not really knowing much about the shape of the earth and the mathematics involved. And for the first couple of minutes, I was like, what the hell? Like, when he says something, well, the horizon always rises to eye level. Well, I'd never looked at that. So uh, yeah. it was one of those moments where I thought, oh, bloody hell, like, <laughs> he's showing these images. It, uh, oh, it seems to be right. I thought, but then I took about two minutes to research it and realize, ah, oh, okay, we can very easily show that the things that he's doing is wrong. But I had, I had about two minutes of thinking of, you know, I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you I have. don't know what reality is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have moments sometimes when it's often when I'm trying to work something out uh, mathematically and mm. I, I do all the math and I get the answer and the answer is like it, it, it proves like the conspiracy theory or whatever it is. And I think, what? Could this possibly be true? Yes. <laughs> and then I recheck it. And then sometimes it's still true. And I'm like, 
banging my head and I'm thinking, what, what's going on here? Like, have I been wrong all this time about this, this one thing, you know, is, yeah. is, is the earth actually flat or, you know, obviously not, but like, <laughs> you know, is, could this actually be a, a flying saucer or something like that? And then eventually you do the math and correctly and you yeah. figure out what the mistake was. But yeah, I do, I do actually occasionally have these moments of, uh, of it's, it's disconcerting when you, you don't mm -hmm. immediately have the answer for something. It's, it's interesting. I, I still see it in myself every now and again. I think it's really nice that someone like yourself and for me, it's been good to, to at least have that, even for a split second, because it gives some kind of sympathy and understanding of where people are coming from. And uh, Yeah, I, can, I, can, I could watch a thousand hours of incredible footage from space, but then to just see one little glitch <laughs> and say, oh, wait a minute, maybe it is all fake. And then, yeah. Oh, hold on. <laughs> So, uh, you know, one of my theories is that there's that, that it's almost like a, a fork in the road in the brain and the brain will run in one direction or the other. And so even though we can experience that moment, we're able to pull it back and say, okay, well, let's just remember that there's uh, this entire vast mountain of evidence and this one tiny little thing. But it's so interesting to, to, ha to be able to see from the inside of a human brain and say, wow, I can see how... And a different way of thinking would run with that in a whole other direction. So it's nice to have that. Yeah, it is. And I think like if you're a, a real debunker or a real scientist, then you really need to you know, be open to the possibility that you might be wrong about everything. You know, obviously mm -hmm. you have this, this very strong uh, you know, set of evidence that shows you that you know, the, the world, the scientific world as we believe it is, you know, as described by science, but science is always discovering new things. And uh, even though it's fairly unlikely that you personally are going to be discovering that new thing, I think it's always always good to be open to the possibility. Mm. Yeah, especially as, like you say, uh, it gives you perspective into the minds of other people when they, they are yeah. Yeah, accepting these new things. Yeah. It's, maybe I see some people, they, they have no... Uh, like on the debunking side, they can't possibly imagine how someone could think that way. And I think I say, I never went very far with it, but I can say, I can see how they would think that way, um, especially without the background and the understanding. And I can imagine right now there are conspiracy theorists that are jumping up and down, saying, yay, <laughs> Rick West admits that there is a possibility that he may be wrong about everything. And, I, but, know, oh, I think what can you there do? is, there is a possibility <laughs> that I may be wrong about everything. I just haven't yet seen the evidence. I do. I do certainly make mistakes in my mathematics uh, from time to time. Yeah. I'm doing some math at the moment, trying to figure out gimbal lock uh, for mm. uh, UFO videos. It's uh, it's making my head hurt because it's stuff that I haven't really thought mm. about for a long time. So there's plenty of room mm. for errors when you're you're dealing with things that you're you feel like you should know how to work stuff out, but you're not actually mm. you know, a, a real expert at it. I think a lot of yeah. people overestimate their ability to figure things out. Yeah, uh, I, I think there's a name for that. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there certainly is. Yeah, it's, well, Dunning-Kruger, Dunning, Dunning I'm going to name it. Name the unnameable. It's the, okay. the idea that uh, the lower your Most ability is, yeah, the lower your, the, the, is it ability? Like, your, like the, the lower your ability is with something, the less uh, able you are to accurately assess your own uh, right. ability. And to overestimate it. To yeah. overestimate it's often uh, and the, the higher the ability, the the more likely to underestimate. Yes. To have, 
how smart you are, how good you are at something. Yeah, and this is, I think, a journey a lot of people go through in a lot of fields. Uh, I talk about it with programming. It's like when you start off computer programming, you, you don't know anything at first, and then you know a little bit of stuff, and you think you know everything. You think you know, there's mm -hmm. nothing else to learn about programming. This is something all programmers yeah. go through, and then you realize there's all this stuff you have no idea, and eventually yeah. you get to build up and build up and fi eventually figure stuff out, but you always know the stuff you don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah, and that's, yeah, the more you know, the more you know that you don't know yeah yeah so you you were saying that you you know you can appreciate more than most people uh like you know what's going on in the minds of of some you know, conspiracy theories or believers in in weird things and i was just reading your essay uh my uh -huh. my brief flirtation with a rabbit hole that you posted on okay. metapunk it was a very yeah. interesting thing and uh it basically kind of details your history with Mm -hmm. kind of your spiritual history and your your history with believing in strange things so you say uh when you were 19 you had a kind mm -hmm. of a mystical experience uh you had yeah. uh five hits of acid it says here <laughs> <laughs> yeah a drug-induced mystical experience and you, you think you, you can trace that back to being in some ways the the start of your 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 kind of mystical journey your spiritual journey yeah, it could be. It's it's always hard to put, for me, it's hard to put my finger on it. I think even I, I could look back to being even eight, nine, ten years old and realizing, mm. you know, that I used to think about a lot of things that, okay, now I've talked to other people, they didn't think about those things at that age. Just um, the idea of who am I really, you know, am I right. this physical body? What would happen if this physical body ceased to exist? And I remember having those thoughts at probably around nine years old. So, um and then there's always the idea, like, did my, the inclinations of my mind lead me to take five hits of LSD? Or did five hits of LSD open my mind in a certain way? But I think it may have been somewhat pivotal. It was, I was just reading about um, acid trips today, uh, yesterday, um, the idea of the eco, ego dissolution, or a lot mm -hmm. of people will, call, will say something like that can be one of the most profound important uh, spiritual experiences of their lives and i don't know it was a wild night though that's for sure <laughs> yeah i can imagine well I, I can't imagine i've never, never taken acid myself which uh have you not well no. <laughs> I, I don't uh, promote those things anymore but it was a bit no. much for a 19 year old to be honest yeah i but, can imagine uh, i imagine 19 yeah. year old is very kind of an impressionable age in a way mm. i remember when i was 19 at uh, college i was certainly uh much more open to new things and didn't have really any basis uh, of any frame of reference when you're when you're that mm. age yeah so so then you said yeah a year later you began your traveling life uh I did yeah what what was that about I and mean, you just did you just leave home and just start to travel the world yeah i was i was very living in leeds quite dissatisfied with my situation nothing happening 20 years old and uh, just out of the blue, I'd never actually been out of England, and I just, on a whim, bought a plane ticket to New York. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> That's well, a I'll good start. Yeah, it was. It was a good, uh, yeah, lots of mad times. But, um, but, yeah, it was the start of something. I think I went for a month, and after a month realized, well, you know, living in a city in England will always be a poss possibility. So I ended up staying in the U.S. for about four years. And lived in places like New York, Charlottesville, Virginia, Colorado, Arizona, Tombstone, Arizona, actually. Huh. Worked as a cowboy there. 
Wow. And spent, <laughs> spent a, a couple of years actually hitchhiking around the U.S. and Mexico. Um, so, yeah, it was, took me till about 24. And that was really when my, you touched on the spiritual journey that I mentioned. Mm. That kind of began consciously when I was about 23. So the last year of those travels was like, uh, like yeah, a spiritual journey, I would say. Yeah, so you spent three years just kind of having fun. And then uh, was there something yeah. that kind of led you to transition to being more spiritual? I think so. Looking back in retrospect, I would say there was. I would say, I think the way you put it there, three years of having fun is a good way to put it. And I think it was a, a fun that evolved and changed over time. So it was originally it was just the standard thing. I was in youth hostels and whatever, go to a bar, uh, talk crap with people from South Africa or Australia. Mm-hmm. And then and then that became dissatisfying. So I wanted something more. And then so I worked in a small town in a restaurant, kind of away from the whole traveler's scene. Then that became dissatisfying. So I wanted the, uh, a bit more adventure with the hitchhiking. And I think eventually I just, uh, even though I experienced some incredible things and wonderful highs and a lot of visited so many national parks, hiked a lot, really got into camping and nature and a level of freedom that was, you know, really beyond anything that I'd imagined. I think eventually that became dissatisfying as well. And mm. so maybe I think probably even for years before that, there was something in my life that was looking for something. And I would say it was something that felt real, something that would feel real. Yeah. And everything I tried may feel real for a week or a month or a year, but eventually I just kind of ran out of options. And as it happened a few times when I'd reached that place, I said, well, I'll just go home to England and uh, get a job and a girlfriend and buy a house and live for X number of decades. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And then I kind of, and then it was a bit like the, it's weird to put these words on it, but the spirituality, the mystical experiences, kind of like they found me. So, I, I mean, this is the story that I've told myself or whether it's true or not, I don't know, but it was, I feel like it was that process of always reaching a place of dissatisfaction and then eventually finally just running out of ideas that I, I really literally couldn't think of anything else other than to just give up and become like a normal person or a tie and things like that. Yeah. And then, yeah. yeah, out of the blue, out of the blue, something happened. Yeah, some kind of mind altering, non drug induced experience that felt very, very real. Um, uh, several experiences like that, actually. And then, then I started meeting certain spiritual teachers. It was all very spontaneous, unfolding. I was still hitchhiking, kind of almost penniless, really. And uh, yeah, it was a good, good few years that I went on that. <laughs> hard, to, hard to explain, really. Hard to describe in a nutshell. But uh, Yeah. No, I mean, it seems like you packed a lot into a, a relatively short space of time. I was just making video games back in my early 20s, <laughs> just stuck in a dark room in Manchester whilst oh. you were uh, <laughs> gallivanting around the world. Well, you're reaping the fruits now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm resting on my laurels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with gallivanting. Yeah. So, so you, mm-hmm. um, early on in your life, uh, in, in your 20s during this mystical period you had some uh, experiences um, with I guess what I would call it in a way almost supernatural experiences uh, that you know type of 
things that aren't explainable by modern science. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, these these are things that kind of convinced you that there was there was more to the world than than there appeared, or had you always kind of felt that way? I probably always felt that there was, or hoped maybe that there was more to life than was being presented. I think, and probably felt it as well. And then probably eating all that LSD enforced <laughs> that. Because I mean, like you say, you haven't done that, but um, I think anyone who has will say, well, it feels like the most real thing ever, yeah. actually. And the fact that the people's experiences, when I would say they would, if it's done in the, what I would call the right way, there's so much similarity. I can, I can definitely question that, and I'm quite happy to dismiss all that because it's drug-induced, but when I would say... I know what you're saying, things that aren't explained by modern science, maybe like uh, spiritual healing or telepathy or things in in those lines. But I think the things that really convinced me were more like what I would term the mystical experiences. So uh, something that, yeah, it's usually very hard to put into words, but something that felt that it was beyond the physical realm, experienced in quite a conscious, calm, calm way, mm-hmm. but where I was different to what I am now or you know something very much bigger deeper uh, people would call it otherworldly or uh, other dimensionally um, yeah difficult to put into words but I think those experiences right. uh, because they were internal and non-drug in- induced and not even actually not even um, some spiritual practices a lot of people do now are kind of like akin to hyperventilating for example holotropic breathing they call it uh, so it wasn't anything like that it was just a very spontaneous natural like experience so this is something like just a personal thing for you that you perhaps couldn't you know, obviously demonstrate to other people that was happening exactly, but f- yeah for you yeah. it uh, it re- revealed that there was you know something more uh, that's I, what it seems like you know I, I'm, I'm always skeptical about it <laughs> but it, it's been 20 years and it's still been impossible to deny any of those things that happened now, so. there was something interesting that you wrote about one of your teachers or one of the guys you were talking with uh he told you that if you practice certain things for long enough certain effects would take place mm-hmm. and you found that they did mm-hmm. and i found this very interesting because uh you know nathan thompson yeah, uh, is the flat earther. He has a very similar yeah. story to you that he he said uh-huh. he had a, a you know a kind of a guru type guy who told him that if uh-huh. he memorized the periodic table he would grow two inches, which uh, he did. <laughs> I think he did. <laughs> apparently so. Apparently he did grow yeah. two inches. But uh, I, I'm assuming that that wasn't the the exact type of thing that you you were doing back then. What what were the the things that you practiced? Yeah, I think I think the things I would be talking about were more about, say, developing a sense of peace or joy mm-hmm. or awareness right. or presence. Or, so really, yeah, it wasn't anything. It was kind of like if you meditate a bunch, if you learn to do this. And with that teacher, I was doing um, what we would call wilderness solos or vision quests, mm-hmm. which is kind of a prolonged period of alone time in nature. Whereas the first one was for six days, um, and that was on a beach in Mexico with nothing to do. So there'd be no reading, no writing, no cooking, no fires, no walking around. It'd kind of make a little circle and just sit in it and do the old 
contemplate the navel kind of thing. Um, or just see what happens, really. It's a, very, it's, a, it's a way to be without any kind of distraction so that a person can go... The, the idea is to be inside themselves or purely with themselves, which is something, I guess, to look around the world is something probably hardly anyone's done as a percentage, to spend even a day truly with their own being, if I could use that word. So... And then I did one for 28 days. That was uh, up a mountain in Colorado. So I like to put that to skeptics of spirituality. So, well, okay, just go sit under a tree for 28 days, see what happens, you know. It's, it is always, it's not a thing that science can, how can you take that to a laboratory, you know? How can you yeah. prove that to someone? Like, is it demonstrable and repeatable? Well, I say, okay, well, yeah, go sit under your own tree and see what happens. That's but true. Not many people... <laughs> yeah, I don't think my wife would be uh, happy with me going sitting under a tree for uh, 28 days. I could theoretically no. <laughs> do it, do it here because we have you know trees out back and there's not a lot of people around. Uh, so if yeah. I just tell my wife not to talk to me for the next 28 days, <laughs> stay off the internet. Once a day, just to say, okay, I'm yeah. sorry. I think people don't do it though because it's it's kind of in a way a very uh, uh, expensive proposition in, in in terms of the things you have to give up like a lot of people you know they they work you, know, you can't give up work for 28 days uh and yeah. you know their relationships with other people is, is a very hard thing to to just suddenly stop but it's it would be an interesting experiment i kind of wish i had uh, the, the the space and time and space to do it but Make, how about you could just do three days <laughs> three days Maybe you should do one three day. days three days of uh, i think three three, three days of nothing three's... The first day you can kind of get through. Mm. Um, then the second day, it did. for my first one, it was in, in, almost impossibly difficult. Really? But, um, yeah, yeah. It was very. The first one actually was more difficult than the twenty-eight day one, uh, just because I always I look at it and I'd, I'd spent six weeks camping mostly alone before that period, um, but I was always doing something, you know, getting firewood, making a fire, cooking, da da da. And the first hour of being on the beach with no distraction and the awareness that I still had six days coming up was infinitely more difficult than six weeks camping alone with hmm. doing stuff, you know, reading, journaling, whatever. So it's, um, yeah, I don't know if I'd, I, I don't know if I'd recommend it to people, but if people are drawn to it. It, it was definitely life-changing for me, perhaps yeah. more even than uh, some of the other things. Yeah. You, you mentioned uh, shortly after that that you became what is known as a bliss ninny. What does that mean? <laughs> bliss ninny. All right. So one thing that happens, I think, to a lot of people when they get on the spiritual path, um, which, and I want to say again, like a, let's say a non-stimulant, uh, non, non-substance path right. these days of, Everybody's doing ayahuasca and POT, and I think that's something different. But um, I think once, ideally, I guess we'd do something like a meditation retreat, or we'd spend some time with a genuine spiritual teacher or a vision quest, and we get in touch with something very deep down. I'll say deep down, and I go to the heart there. So get in touch with, I say, true being, as uh, as the teachers would say, higher higher power, whatever, something like that. Some people call it God. As a young man, and I've seen it in myself and in a lot of people, it tends to be a bit like a drug, actually. 
So there's mm. an incredible high. Um, and for me, it was you know a lot of ecstasy, just feeling ecstatic all the time, naturally, which is really nice. You know, why why would anyone do these kind of spiritual practices if there wasn't a little uh, reward? And there is a reward, the, the ecstasy, the joy that just naturally arises. So I can say, oh, wow, I could just meditate for 10 days, as I did later on, and think, well, I'm, in, I'm ecstatically happy just breathing, just for hours and hours. So it's really wonderful. But also, as a young guy with all the psychological baggage that's kind of still there but neglected, um, it can get a little bit imbalanced. And people mm. just say, <laughs> you know, like, oh, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to dance and hug everyone and blah, 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 run around naked, barefoot, whatever. Um, kind of li- and living for that, giving, giving up all material interests. Uh, I, guess, I guess we could say like having experienced the bliss of the soul or union with something, a higher power. It's like, well, nothing else matters. And so for me, I think it was quite a classical experience of having a couple of years like that where I was just a bliss mini, just bouncing right. around in bliss. Everything's amazing. Everybody's beautiful. Uh, people liked it because they could see how incredibly happy I was. But um, it was a little bit, it wasn't balanced. It wasn't what we'd call grounded. It wasn't integrated. Mm-hmm. Um, and it tends and it, it tends to wear off, I think, after a while. And now when I see people who are in that phase, they kind of, they look like they're just not, they don't really have much substance. They're a bit like they could huh. they could float away. <laughs> you know, they're very happy, but they're not actually really there, kind of in the physical body, being solid. And uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know for somebody who has a lot of background in that stuff. This would all make, I think, perfect sense. And for other people who don't, then I don't know if that makes sense to you or not. But. It do, it does make sense to me. I can kind of see that, like you know, it's obviously very attractive having these mystical experiences, and I think you mm. can, uh, you know, in a way, that can be all that you need. You know, just being mm-hmm. happy, you just have this feeling of happiness. Uh, if you can yeah. make make your brain do this, regardless of whether it's a you know some kind of genuine mystical experience or just kind of some way of tricking your brain chemistry into yeah. into this then you know it's uh it feels good and they're happy and that's that's great but yeah like yeah. you say there's yeah. there's more to life than just simply having a sensation of happiness all the time yeah yeah, yeah. and if if it's a true lasting like we would say that the guru the true guru the true saint the true enlightened person would be established in that bliss kind mm. of in a non-stop way that's the kind of goal and as a young person, it feels like, wow, this has been lasting for a year or two years. I must be there. And it's not. It's just, uh, it's not so different to a drug high. It's just that it lasts a lot longer. And it's, uh, yeah, there's still a come down. I, I, I still came down eventually. And uh, it was, that was difficult as well. So I, uh, yeah, not so attracted to the bliss and anything now. <laughs> so, uh, you know, after that, in your little your your essay, uh, you talk about kind of starting to believe in uh, strange things. I guess like you mm. you said you had friends tell you about the hundredth monkey, which is the idea that monkeys mm. can kind of uh, you get a critical mass of monkeys learning one thing, and then all the monkeys everywhere in the world learn the, the same thing. And people mm-hmm. have similar theories with with meditation, transcendental meditation, and there was a theory that the Bible was all changed and suppressed. 
and it was some more accurate Bible than in some other things. And it seems like, mm. you know, this is kind of you getting into almost conspiracy theories because the idea that the Bible yeah. has been, you know, deliberately changed and suppressed is essentially a conspiracy theory. Uh, would mm. you say you kind of just kind of, you know, in this, this spiritual life that you're in and the people you were around, was there a lot of that type of thing, like flirting around the edges of various types of conspiracy theories? Yeah, I think so. I think they weren't, this is still 20 years ago and it wasn't quite what we see now. Mm. Um, yeah, but eventually I was, because of my, my spirituality was non-religious. I had a, an atheistic upbringing. And I, mean, I guess I, I found myself into new age circles where uh, kind of anything goes, really. I, because I've been in those circles in, in recent years as well, but with a kind of a more, what I would consider a more balanced, mature mind. Yeah, there's, a, there's just a lot of stories that go around and people repeat things. It's the interesting thing. So the idea of the hundredth monkey, you know, one person tells another person, and it just gets passed around as, as gospel. But maybe one of the famous ones that comes to mind is the idea the observer effect in quantum physics. Mm. So because the a new age belief would be that we, we create our own reality, which I don't really subscribe to that anymore. But again, it's one of those things that's very appealing and there's a certain amount of truth in it and we can see it when we're in these wonderful states. I, just, I think there's a lot of truth in, the, in a lot of those things, but they get a bit weird after a while. So the idea that, well, anything's possible. So let's say I've experienced a few things that I previously thought were impossible. I guess anything can be possible now. So then people dedicate their lives to learning to levitate. Or, and I'm not aware of any genuine examples of that. And then the conspiracy theories do drip in a little bit. So I do see some of my new age friends on 9-11. You know, I, I wouldn't even call them truthers, but they, they have a mild interest and a mild skepticism. And then the chemtrail seems to be the more popular one, hmm. I think, because probably the New Age communities are very interested in health. You know, right. A lot of it's about eating well and healing the body and making it uh, as healthy as it can be. And then, you know, contrails are difficult to get away from. So that's one I hear the most, I think. Yeah. And one that I did, I remember hearing this in the late 90s. And it was interesting, something I thought about um, is I probably believed it the first time I heard it and maybe thought about it for a few weeks, but then never talked about it with anyone and forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there used to be some like strange new in 99. So it was all Y2K stuff. And then it came back around. Now we've got, you know, Nibiru and Planet yeah, yeah. It came back around in 20. I was, I'd grown out of it by 2012. And so I was saying, oh, nothing's going to happen. But I recognized, oh, this is exactly the same stuff that people were saying in 99 for Y2K and Nostradamus. And so that was the kind of things that used to float around. And then I could find newsletters from the 70s or 80s or 60s, <laughs> and they were saying exactly the same thing as well. <laughs> so it just keeps coming around and around. And it always seems very fresh when you're fresh in it. But I did used to believe that stuff, Cat, you know, coming cataclysms. And, and I just, it, nothing happened and it wore off. I got a bit more sensible, I think. Did you, uh, were you preparing for a coming catalysm or were you like, I don't know, trying to raise the world's consciousness or something like that? Or? It's, it's, you know, I'd forgotten about that, but yes, I was. <laughs> I, uh, not in a major way, but there was a real sense like, okay, when, when the clock turns 2000, you know, I want to be in the right place. 
so that was that was something and i would really try and feel like what's the right place for me and i think i tried so hard to be in the right place i very clearly ended up in the wrong place <laughs> but um and also there was a sense back then a lot of these newsletters web pages and also some teachers would promote this idea that oh all you people everybody's waking up uh, i'm sure they say it now as well but there's this idea of universal enlightenment so like oh have you noticed that you know you're waking up and people you know are waking up and you go yes well of course because we live in a new age community and everyone's just woken up and that's why they're there and it seems like the whole world is waking up and everything reinforces that and then these newsletters and a lot of them were channeled you know channeled newsletters like uh, mm-hmm. saying oh the, the coming changes the earth may tip on its axis and societies will collapse and then you will be ready you know the, the awake ones will be ready and you'll have you know you've already gone through all these layers of fear and you're not worried about anything and you know how to live by foraging and so that, i think there was a real growing myth at that time that i definitely bought into of like okay okay i'm gonna be a teacher i'm gonna lead some people and the cataclysm will happen and then a whole bunch of people will come and say oh we don't know what to do and I'll say, hey, don't worry, just observe your breath and we'll grow some potatoes. <laughs> how, how is that going to help, though, with all the, you know, having your very good breathing techniques uh, after the cataclysm? Oh, because you won't be afraid. Like if that happened, like if I lost everything now, or people that I know who are like me, if they lose everything, they say, well, it doesn't matter because all yeah. I need is myself. Okay. So those years of traveling and kind of establishing that in myself, I traveled for a long time without money, kind of living on what I would call grace or providence. And so there's something in me that maybe other people wouldn't have. That They would say, oh, well, I lost my car. I might as well just shoot myself. Or I lost my wife or I lost my house. And then that comes down to, I guess, the Buddhist idea of attachment. So if you can transcend all your attachments to, first of all, the material realm and then to other things such as beliefs, which is something we're interested in, then and still realize that we're perfectly okay, then you're okay. So I guess the idea was all these other people would be freaking out because the financial system had collapsed and you, you know, you'd be all right. You'd be sitting there going, well, don't worry about it. It's fine. Because <laughs> you can still laugh and you can still get everything you need. That was the idea. I mean, I don't believe in that coming cataclysm now. Yeah. So, uh- I thought it was interesting that you, uh, you, know, you said you were going around and you thought everybody shared similar beliefs to you because you were just talking to people who were mystical. And then you, you came back mm-hmm. to England and you, yeah. you kind of, you saw that people in England were just the same as they'd always been. Yeah. That, that's something I think back on with fondness because of, <laughs> because, because I just, I feel like it's, it's a kind of waking up as well, waking up to just realism but there isn't a universal enlightenment happening. I mean, maybe on a small scale, I'm not sure. I mean, yoga seems a lot more popular now than it was 100 years ago. And meditation and mindfulness. So, But yeah, on the whole, after just being in spiritual communities for a few years and thinking, wow, everybody's waking up. And then I went back to Leeds and <laughs> 11 o'clock on a Friday night, you know, you're talking, well, for every, for every person waking up, there was 10,000 people drinking and shouting and falling over in the street yeah so yeah i think a lot of people you know they, they get in their little communities especially online nowadays and they just they're just mm. not aware that there are 
what mainstream the, the mainstream world is actually like and what most people are like. Yeah. And they think yeah. that everyone thinks like them, like the chemtrail people, they they think that everybody knows about chemtrails and everybody is, you know, concerned about these lines in the sky and everybody's thinks that they're being poisoned. And you just mm. talk to pretty much any random person and it's pretty unlikely that they've even heard of chemtrails. Yeah. I, I, I even, yeah, I'm a debunker. Uh, and I, yeah. Yeah, because I talk about it so often, I think that it's, I get the feeling that it's more prevalent than it actually is. And I talk mm-hmm. to people and they're like, what are you talking about? What is this chemtrail thing that you're doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's yeah. like, what? You, no, one, no one's even heard of this. It, it's just not, these, these things are not as prevalent as they seem. No, once we get stuck into it, Flat Earth's a prime example as well. There was moments where I thought, oh my God, everyone's believing it. <laughs> and then if I talk to a real person in the real world, what, people believe that? No, just ignore it. <laughs> and, uh, it helps to, to actually sit down and really think about the numbers involved and say, okay, they're not even going to fill a small football stadium if you take all the, say, all the believers worldwide. Uh, it puts it into perspective. Because I think I had a phase, and I saw online that a lot of people had phases where they just felt overwhelmed by this level of what they perceive as kind of, what would you call it, the the death of education and critical thinking. It's small, small potatoes, really, I think. Yeah, because the world is going on pretty much as it was. If you do yeah. step back from these things, like if I step away from from debunking and the investigation I, I do, it's like, it's like, Oh, why am I even bothering some other time? Mm. Because it is, it is in some ways quite a small thing, but then again, it's still affecting the lives of lots of people. Maybe yep. not as a percentage of the population, but uh, still a lot, yeah. thousands, millions in some cases. Do you, do you think that, do you think about stepping away from debunking? I, I sometimes get a little bit frustrated with it, uh, especially yeah. if I've been spending too much time in one thing like flat earth. Like I did a lot of flat earth debunking in the lead up to me going to speak at this flat earth conference uh, a couple of months mm-hmm. ago. And you, know, you just kind of go through all of the things and then you talk to people and it doesn't seem to make any difference. You know, all this, no. this debunking you did. But that in itself was very interesting because I went to this conference mm-hmm. and I talked to people and there was uh, one guy in particular, I was showing him pictures of, of Catalina Island, which actually the pictures he took of Catalina Island. And we're discussing like how the, you know, the horizon cuts off the bottom half of the island. And he was saying that uh, he thought that's just because of perspective and that's because it was far away. And, you know, when I was doing my, the way I was fitting the, the pictures to the horizon was all wrong and that mm. I should have, I should actually have, made it bigger and i said if i make it bigger Mm. it doesn't fit and and it was just very interesting (laughs) being unable to get through to somebody it was frustrating but it was kind of a fascinating look at why people continue to believe in these things because they can't actually wrap their heads around uh, them i think it's similar with 9-11 like with 9-11 people can't conceive of how the buildings could have collapsed Mm. yeah and you get the same type of thing in all of them. The people can't conceive of something in their head, therefore conspiracy. It, it's, so it sounds like, I don't know whether the conference was uh, important in this or just in general, in your general debunking thing. It sounds like you've done quite well of going beyond the frustration aspect of it. 
And, you know, standing face to face with someone who won't, who can't get that basic, something basic, as basic as yeah. photographs of an island. Um, the, like, you seem, you seem quite fine with that. Yeah, well, you've got to, I mean, what can you do? You can't just say, throw up your arms and say, you're an idiot and walk away. I think yeah, a lot of people do that. <laughs> they do, they do, because it's frustrating and it almost seems yeah. like the other person is being deliberately, deliberately not seeing this thing. But I, I don't think that's entirely true. I think there's a degree where their, their, their minds are steering them away from it because they think that something else is true, so they don't want it to be true. But it's a lot of the times people genuinely have a hard time with visualizing things in three dimensions. It's difficult to explain certain concepts to people, even like the simple, you know, flat earth experiments that you can do where you, you set up the sticks by the side of a canal and then you look along them and you see if it's curved, curved or not. It's the, mm-hmm. the Wallace experiment. It's actually hard to explain that to, to, to ordinary people who aren't used yeah. to thinking about things in terms of uh, lines of sight and geometry and things like that. You know, never mind the math, mm-hmm. just, just the, the spatial relationships of things. People don't think about it. Most people don't really understand how far away the sun is or how far away the moon is or how big the yeah. sun is or how big the universe is. They have no conception and you can't yeah. get it through to them. So I think realizing that is a, is yeah. a good start for genuine communication. Definitely. I would say probably most people who understand how to think in 3D don't understand that other people can't do that. Right? Yeah. Yeah, no. definitely. And yeah, my background is a very, very strong 3D uh, thinking mm. thing because I spent like you know decades doing video games, uh, mm. which a lot of that is 3D geometry. And I, I took advanced mathematics at school, and uh, you know a third of that was 3D coordinate geometry, which most people mm-hmm. didn't take at school. It was this obscure right. school topic. So, <laughs> you know, I've got this like my brain is wired for three dimensions, but. Mm. Almost nobody else is. You know, there's p- other people who are into computer graphics are, yeah, and people who, you know, think about, I don't know, artists maybe who think about lines of sight. Mm-hmm. But most people, they they don't have the same brain as me. And so you've really mm-hmm. got to figure out how do you explain things to to those people. Uh, you, yeah. you have some uh, things that you talk about a lot with the mountains, the relative heights of mountains. Mm-hmm. Like if you stand on the top of one mountain and there's another mountain the same height and then another one the same height further away, they should all be uh, level with each other if it was a flat earth or one should be higher than another. Mm -hmm. If it's a round earth and if they're different heights, you can work out the angles. Uh, But I think, I don't know if you're really going to be reaching many people with that because (laughs) angles, what what are (laughs) angles? You know, it's people don't uh, in their daily life, they they don't know what an angle is. Yeah. Yeah, even a lot of people you ask them what a right angle is. They won't know mm. what a right angle is, just ordinary people, because it doesn't come up. And if you haven't thought about what a right angle is for the last 20, 30 years, and someone suddenly starts talking about, well, it should be like you know, 0.7 degrees here and 0.725 <laughs> degrees for this mountain, and it's not, it's 0.6. And they're like, yeah. what are you even talking about? <laughs> yeah, it's been an interesting journey. <laughs> do, do you get much feedback on your uh, your debunking videos from people who have you convinced anybody has anybody said oh yeah that makes sense and uh because i think there's video. been one or two one or two who yeah. said they were on the fence and now they're gonna go with the globe well that's what they said at the time i mean who knows 
which I thought there might have been more. Maybe I would have hoped for more. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, I don't get very much feedback uh, from people. No. Uh, and often when it does come, it comes kind of almost indirectly years later, and it's more like you were part yeah. of the picture rather than you were the turning mm -hmm. point. They were saying, all that yeah. stuff you did was very useful. So I think, you know, the stuff you're doing yeah. now is, is solid debunking stuff. Like you've done a lot of these videos, like explaining, uh, you know, why these mountains prove that the earth is round. And I think for some people yeah. that can be helpful. Yeah. Seriously, all the, uh, the people who already know that the earth's a globe just say, yeah, well done. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it. it's, it's, uh, you're preaching to the choir a lot, I think. Something about flat earth debunking is that it's very entertaining uh, for the debunkers. It's just, it's a very immediately attractive thing that you can grasp hold of. And if you do do a little bit of geometry, you can just, you can do the math and you can, or you can make these mm. observations. Like you, you've got this one where you, uh, you look at the horizon and you've got the straight edge where you, mm. you compare the straight edge against the horizon. There's these fun things you can do. And yeah. I think it's almost like no, there's two think... worlds of like people who enjoy doing the debunking stuff and there's people who enjoy believing it and there's not that much actual overlap. Doesn't seem like it, no. Like, uh, yeah, it's been a journey with the flat Earth thing for sure, uh, and Metabunk's been a big part of that. And your approach to uh, trying to be civil and just very balanced, level-headed. And then I, I, I've really seen it again, as I guess as I do with most things in life, as a tool for personal development. So hmm. this idea that we just talked about, you know, trying to trying to understand that people see the world differently to how I see it, or we all see it differently. And, and so, okay, well, there's no reason to be frustrated with them. Uh, or or the, to, even to say that the video thing that I did, I had a creative desire to make these videos and to get the knowledge that I'd accumulated in my head, which was become, become, becoming a bit of a burden. Mm. Uh, I wanted to get it out of me. So in a way, it's, you know, I, I was perfectly satisfied. I didn't need to convert anyone. I didn't need to prove anything. Just like, I, I just want to make videos enjoy it and get it out of me. So I, I got my reward anyway, and then everything else was a bonus. And the idea also of just working with expectations or working with my own attachments to how other people should be or think or when even, like you say, people come around in years, you know? So if, if it works in five years, that's fine. I shouldn't have an attachment to anybody understanding anything today or tomorrow. Um, so it's all, yeah, it's been interesting. That. When I've felt the frustration come or the anger, I said, okay, well, that, that's something for me to learn from now. So uh, that's been nice. Well, I think some other debunkers just don't seem to, they don't take it as a personal journey. They want yeah. other people to change, want other people's minds to think differently. And I don't think the world really works like that very well. What yeah. do you think of the, the other debunkers uh, on YouTube? Uh, like, Simon Dan or uh, Fight the Flat Earth. You know, there's, there's guys yeah. who have channels that are almost entirely devoted to flat earth debunking. I think Simon Dan's branching out a bit more now, but mm. uh, like for a while it was just all, you know, pick a flat earth video and make fun of it. And then you yeah. get the people doing debates, like they, they yeah. will find some flat earthers and then they will just be you know, basically the one guy calling the other guy stupid for, for half an hour and then explaining why he's mm. stupid. What do you think yeah. of, uh, of the, that type of thing? It's not really my cup of tea. Mm. Like what I, what I try and tell myself to look on the bright side is, well, 
everything has its place. So, I mean, Simon Dan has a huge number of followers. People uh, love his videos. Yeah. And I have seen in his comments people say, you know, oh, I was a flat earther. I'm not anymore because of Simon Dan. So I think, okay, so he, because he gets a huge audience, he's, he's going to probably um, help more people. And he gets a huge audience because of his more popularist style. Like, it's pretty straight to the point. It's quite, it's not confrontational, but he, he, he likes to mock people and yeah. go after low-hanging fruit. I say, well, that's not really what I want to do. And I wouldn't feel comfortable being that way. But, yeah, that's his thing. And, yeah, I don't find it particularly interesting, the, the debates they have, the, uh, the non-sequitur show, like, I know you were on mm. there talking to Steve McRae. Yeah, yeah. And he, you know, he likes to call people idiots. And I thought it was beautiful. The, the way that you answered him was really nice. I featured it in one of my hundreds of videos. But uh, you, know, you, you came across with that very compassionate, balanced approach. And he was like, oh, but they're just idiots. So <laughs> why do you keep inviting them on over and over and over again? You know, they're not harassing you yeah. in the street you're asking them onto your space <laughs> yes like so if they, you thought uh, people were idiots why would you uh you know make fun of them all the time it doesn't seem very yeah. nice uh, so, very so there's the whole views and subscribers thing and i didn't want that yeah uh, and i you know as a contrarian and to some degree so once i stopped making my flat earth videos i put up a whole bunch of videos about my spiritual journey thinking that i could lose most of my subscribers <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm just, I, I, I guess I'm, I was never into it for that, even though I had accusations that I was wanting views and subscribers. Why? Why would I want that? I think the thing is, as well, with your Simon Dans and your more popular guys in the, in the game, as I would call it, I could feel that when I was doing my videos and it starts to build and some of them are getting eight or 10,000 views and all the comments and the positive feedback and I go, oh, go get them, Rory, you know, get the flat earthers. Right. You know, pitchfork brigade and I think oh wow like what if how do I stop this now there's all this momentum how does someone like Simon Dan if he wakes up one day and thinks this is just, I'm bored of this but you've got all these followers you've got your income uh, Nathan Oakley I think fight the flat earth they're, they're getting non-sequitur sure they've got their li their livelihoods depend on it and so, and I could, again, it was a little one of those moments where I could feel, oh, my brain could go in this direction and maybe become more popularist or more confrontational. Mm -hmm. It's very, very easy to do, a very easy path to go down. Um, I thought, I don't really want to do that. I've got other things. I don't want to be chained to a computer just watching people, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> pouring water on a ball repeatedly and... Yeah. And me sitting there editing videos so I can laugh at them. I, that's not what I want to do in my life. So, yeah, different strokes for different folks. Indeed, indeed. I'd like to kind of finish off by talking about one thing you, you wrote about in your, your essay, which is uh, Atlantis. Yeah, and I you had this experience <laughs> with Atlantis, which I, I found <laughs> fascinating because it seemed like this turning point. So can you like, yeah. say what happened there? Yeah, sure. That was... That would have been in about 2002 when I was in my first year at university. Mm. kind of went later when I was 26 after my traveling days. And so I was in this process of coming back to Earth. 
but I was still running with a lot of those old new age ideas that I'd picked up. And again, a very prevalent thing in the new age still today, and it was certainly back then, was this idea that was Atlantis was a real place and that uh, hmm. people could even communicate with them now. These channelers, they could channel Atlanteans and Lemurians and seventh dimensional beings that live inside Mount Shasta and blah, blah, blah. It was you know, all very wild stuff, but I, you know, it all made sense to me at the time. Yeah. Um, and then I'm sitting in this class at university to do with, uh, it's on classics and Plato comes up and talking about Atlantis, uh, the origins of Atlantis as an allegory. Uh, and I was just kind of, what? I thought it was, you know, something that we didn't really know about kind of in that uh, King Arthur or, you know, and they'll, they, there's maybe found the ruins uh -huh. or they will find the ruins. I thought, what? It's just a story that, uh, some guy made up. So, I mean, we don't really know the origins uh, of Atlantis or where Plato got the idea, but it was, like you say, it was that moment like, huh, I'm going to look into that. And I think that, from what I remember, that was something that started a ball rolling. But when I researched it and say, wow, everything I've believed, the whole, I think it comes from probably, had its roots in Madame Blavatsky and the Theosophists. Um, this, this, the Atlantis myth that has grown up and that survives now. Uh, I thought, well, okay, so Plato made the original story. Then some people in the 19th century created a myth about it. And now me and all my friends are repeating it to other people like, oh, oh okay. So I've been really wrong about that. And it started me, I think underneath everything, there's a real quest for a truth, you know, and a lot of people will say that that's fine. But, um, I just wanted to know the truth of that. Yeah, and it started a ball rolling, I think. Just when I realized how wrong I could be. And I didn't have any interest in building any shields around it. Or Like, okay, I had a wrong belief. It's not the worst thing in the world. Mm. I wonder what else I believe that's wrong. <laughs> so I tried to research everything <laughs> that I'd heard in life. And a lot of it, once I started to say, oh, oh this is the hundredth monkey. Well, okay, it's not what I was told. And this supposed science experiment and this supposed occurrence and so yeah a lot of it was fantasy and make-believe and were you disappointed um i think my enthusiasm for truth overrode that and mm. i do find it happens maybe a few years ago something came up that i'd forgotten about and it came up about um some indian spiritual teacher like, oh, oh, they weren't quite what I thought they were. So I feel that moment of disappointment. But I also know that there's no point in, in it, really. There's no point in feeling disappointment. There's no point trying to cling to the old story, the old false story, really. So it, it's a bit like uh, just, the, just a moment of like readjusting. Yeah. And saying, like, okay, now, now I'm in this new reality where I'm a, a one more belief light. Okay, that's fine. And I've done that enough times to know that, again, it's one of those things that it's okay to be without beliefs, especially beliefs in things that aren't real. You'll, you'll, I'm sure you're convinced that I believe things that aren't real still, but that's okay also. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's so, a topic for another, another discussion. Yeah. <laughs> you said, how does this, this affect your, um, your relationships with other people, though? Like you, other people who are still in the mystical, more mystical mindset than you were, are right now. Yeah. They, you said they um, were, they saw you as a pain in the ass debunker. Yeah. 
<laughs> I think so. I'm kind of lucky, like the way that I live, I, I tend to move a lot. Mm. So as I change, my surroundings change and vice versa. So when I become a new, in, enter a new way of thinking, then I just move into a new yeah. place. Um, but I do have some very old friends who are, you know, from 20 years ago who haven't changed very much from those new age days. And uh, yeah, I saw them a few years ago and spent time living with them again. And uh, yeah, they saw me as a pain in the ass because like everything they said, after a while they knew like, oh, Rory's sitting there and he's going to be there. <laughs> And he's going to come back and he's going to say, well, where did you hear that? Or is that, you know, or, yeah, I know about that. That's not. And uh, it made it hard for me. Yeah. Like then they're very nice people. Mm-hmm. And the things that they believe don't affect them in any negative way. And, then, well, they, and it's very minor stuff a lot of the time. But it makes it difficult because I, I find it hard to keep my mouth shut. Yeah. Um, you know, I just think I don't want to believe anything that's nonsense. Also, some of them are teachers. They're like yoga teachers, meditation okay. teachers. And I know that they repeat these uh, bunks to other people. And I think yeah. when you're a teacher, I think there's like a duty there to really make sure what you're saying is true. That's interesting. So, I think also there's, if you're a teacher and you've been teaching these things to other people, I think that really would disincentivize you to actually change your belief. Because it would be so embarrassing to have to go to your students and say, you know, I've been telling you all this stuff, especially if you've been doing it for years and you've taught hundreds of people. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can imagine that uh, a teacher's in some ways might actually get more stuck in their beliefs than uh, than other people. I think that's totally true. Yeah, it's very very perceptive for a non-yoga person to pick up on that. But uh, it's totally true. I, I see it definitely. And... The people I know in spiritual circles who I say, who I really look up to, they don't want to be teachers because they see it's such a trap. You get yeah. pigeonholed, you're put on a pedestal, yeah. and then again, the, it can become like feeding the ego and say, oh, well, I'm on this pedestal. I guess I kind of like it. And I don't really want to get off. Or it's too difficult to get off. So it, it's a real trap in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. When I think of teachers, I think of science teachers, and I think that's that's fine. Mm. But uh, you know, with I can see what you're saying there. With the more spiritual teachers, you know, they want to be right, but also they don't want yeah. to be wrong. And uh, yeah. you can get if they, they're doing the same thing over and over. It's not so much a journey of discovery. If they start out yeah. with something that's not quite right to start out with. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and there's they need to be trusted as well. Yeah, people are, no, It's not just science teachers giving you facts. It's a real interpersonal relationship. So there has to be a lot of trust there. So yeah, I wonder if that difficult. kind of is that maybe goes over to the conspiracy theorists as well. Like you've got the promoters of conspiracy theories, like the the chemtrail guy Dane Wigington, who's always essentially teaching people about chemtrails. Like they uh, they get that same kind of feedback in that they've told the same story so many times to so many people that mm-hmm. it's really reinforced it for them and they they they've really brought it brought into being right. So, yeah, um, and there'd be such a fallout as well, like yeah. uh, as you bring up a lot that once you kind of step out of the conspiracy field, you lose all your friends who have become like a family. And so I think somewhere subconsciously they they know there's a fallout and. I don't know what it's like in conspiracy theory uh, terms, but it, maybe like in a Christian church, 
I've read lots of examples of the, he's preaching and he knows he doesn't believe what he's preaching. Right. But how can he stop? You know, how can he lose what he has? So he just keeps going. Yeah. Yeah, it creates a, a real schism. Everyone needs to move countries every now and then just so they can get some, <laughs> uh, some fresh perspective. Yeah, it makes it very easy. Yeah. yeah. Are you staying uh, in Sweden for a while? Yeah, I'll probably be here till at least September, maybe October, maybe the winter. I don't know. All right. No plans. <laughs> <laughs> Zero plans. I'm in the same position I was last year. Where I had no plans and everyone kept asking me. And I said, ah, oh, something will come. And then just as I left, somebody offered me a six-month house-sitting gig in Ibiza. Hmm. Uh, not just house-sitting, but villa-sitting. So, that must uh, have been very nice. Okay. <laughs> And a, yeah, a good opportunity a to, to make videos. Yes, and do some flat earth uh, debunking. Do, do yeah. you have anything planned in the future for like debunking type things or uh, yeah, more videos? Well, I, I honestly feel that I exhausted it. Hmm. Like I say, I, I had my. I wanted to share what I had and maybe help a few people, but I think my prime motivation was to get my head clear of what I'd got. And to experiment with video making. And I got a lot out of that. I was never comfortable talking on camera. And it's yeah. kind of fun, you know. It was an experience. But once I got to the end of it, I would wake up every day and think, oh, I've got to make this video, this video, this video. Uh, very uh, possessed almost by that uh, creative spirit and that desire. And then one day I woke up and I had two videos left to make, which were going to be perhaps some of my best ones. I just thought, oh, I'm done with that now. <laughs> And I never made them. I had the script written out. I had the slideshow. Really? And I just, I didn't bother. And I feel that I was really happy. For three days, I thought, yeah, I'm done with that now. And I was glad because there was a stage there. I thought, I'll give one month to it. And then it became two months and three months. I, I, it was so all-consuming. I thought, is this ever going to end? I don't want to. I didn't want to be a guy who dedicated his life to that. So it was so nice to wake up that day and just be like, I'm bored of that now. Um, it's, <laughs> uh, Maybe I should get little, that again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have started making videos uh, yeah. recently, more videos, and I think they're really good. Um, yeah, and this podcast thing is new to me as well. This is like episode 14, yeah. I think. So it's uh, yeah. fun and interesting and new and meeting new people. It's, it's great just talking to people. So. They're great. You, I mean, your videos do, because you're such a big name in, uh, I mainly know about Flat Earth, so you're a huge name in Flat Earth, but, Nobody goes to, I'm going to say, I don't want to say nobody goes to Metalunk, but a lot of people don't. And yeah. Well, a lot of people, videos, my videos don't you, get that many views either. The, you know, if you yeah, can compare the them to... You should get way more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it'll, it'll take off. I mean, I guess you just need to insult people more often. All right. <laughs> yeah, I'll give that, that a go. Your style. <laughs> no, I don't do no. that. Yeah. No, no, I won't. So, I yeah, that. hopefully I'm, I'm more or less... Just in the last few weeks, I felt a little bit of a draw towards Flat Earth, but um, to maybe like, oh, maybe I'll just get involved in mm. one more little thing. It's just when but you think I'm you're out, they pull you back in. Yeah, so I hope not. I don't want to be like that again. And I just right. check in. I check in on Metabunk, but the desire to really get stuck into us. I think I've done, what, what more could I do, to be honest? I put mm. up like 200 videos in three months, and yeah. I don't know what else I could do. I've I did the Horizon-O-Matic, the straight, le- straight edge, a lot of eye-level doesn't rise to, Horizon doesn't rise to eye-level stuff. I'm like, there's not a lot else I can, I can do. 
mm -hmm. from what I have. There's I've always really... that urge, though. Like people, no. you, you, you've got to got to explain it better. I could, if I could just explain it a little bit better, then uh, yeah. they'll they'll get that it. That was my whole my whole thing was I, I just want to explain it as simply as possible, and yeah. it still didn't work. So I don't know yeah. what I can do. You're probably right. Maybe there's just like oh, I'll just try and get I'll just try and reach this one person. Yes, <laughs> even <laughs> even simpler. All right, Rory. Never well, uh, this has been a very interesting discussion. Uh, thank you very much for doing it. All right. Good luck with your editing, and I'll I'll see you on Metabunk. Yeah, we will. <laughs> All right. <laughs>